Today's episode is brought to you by Omeo. Omeo is a travel booking platform that makes planning a journey in Europe and North America effortless. Just enter your travel details and Omeo will magically give you all the train, bus, flight, and ferry options for your journey. It's never been simpler to book your first real vacation for 2021. Best of all, using Omeo saves you time and money. That's a win-win in our books. Omeo wants to help you leave your house this summer by offering you 5% off your next booking. Just head to omeo.com and use the promo code OMEO5 at checkout. That's O-M-I-O-5 at checkout. This is valid until July 31st for new users on all modes of transport. It's just the pick-me-up that 2021 needs. OMEO, plan, book, and love the journey. Terms and conditions apply. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking Joining us on the line right now is a former WCW and WWE Hardcore Champion, a two-time WCW World Tag Team Champion. You may know him as Johnny Stamboli, Relic Johnny the Bull, but he is John Hunger. John, welcome to the two-man power trip. How you doing? Man, thanks for having me. What have you been up to? What's going on in your world? Man, i just been... Uh... I do. Uh, I'm a mortgage broker. I, I I do residential loans for like purchases and refinances. And I'm the uh, I'm a vice president of my division, a federal savings bank. So that's what I've been doing. I I kind of worked my way out of it. Like I was I was wrestling. I was going overseas. I would come home like like around 2008, 2007. Had nothing to do. For two weeks and I started writing, you know, I worked for a buddy of mine's broker shop and I started writing loans for all the wrestlers like Charlie Hoff and Umunga and, and Bobby Lashley. And that's just a, just to name a few. I mean, I've, I've probably done like 20 wrestlers, uh, loans for them. And then slowly, uh, my last match was in 2015 versus hurricane, which I, I ran this show. I threw the show and, and, brought all the guys in but that was my last match and then after that i've just been doing it full time it was i wrestled a hurricane as a as relic too um but i i've been doing mortgages full time so it's 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 good it's it's not not as painful it's it's stressful but not as painful yeah i was gonna say you don't have to take any bumps i would hope yeah i don't i don't even know what my body would do if i hit the ropes or kick a buck how'd you get into that though like that line of work, though. That's interesting. Well, no, like I said, my buddy owned a broker shop, and I was wrestling overseas. Like, I'd go to Japan, Italy, and Mexico, and then I would come home and have nothing to do. So I just started writing loans for my for my buddy's broker shop and started doing all the wrestlers' loans. Like, like I said, Charlie Hoff and Bobby Lashley, Elton Benjamin. Uh, who else? So many, um, 
Jack, what's his name? Jack. Uh, Swagger. What's, Swagger. Yeah, uh, just to name a few. But uh, yeah, I mean, I like it. I get to stay at home and I'm travel, which uh, you know, traveling gets old after a while. Plus, you know, I wanted to I wanted to get married and have have a family, so uh, I couldn't really do that on the road because it was too, you know, just I'd always put myself in bad positions. So I, I, you know, and a combination of I just wanted to, you know, the the lifestyle is not as healthy or it wasn't at least for me. Uh, just traveling all the time and the pain, uh, you know, worrying about CTE. CTE is no joke. So, um, you know, when you when you when you take a bump and you fall, even if you don't, even if you don't, you know, hit the back of your head, your brain is still moving around in your skull. So you can get little minor concussions you don't know about. Plus, when? Plus, when I when I uh, when I was wrestling Terry Funk and I I tore my my bladder partially tore it, it shifted my hips. And, you know, I was fine up until about five years ago. Now I have lower back issues. So just from doing leg drops in the ring or out to the floor. Oh, yeah, I could see that uh, being a, ooh, especially as you get older. Being real part, I'm pretty healthy. You know, I, I, I'm happy, married. We're working on kids right now. I'm 44 years old, so I have to... uh have to get going. My wife's 10 years younger than me. So she'll be pushing me around in a wheelchair probably <laughs> in our old age. <laughs> oh, yeah. As far as kind of you and, and getting into wrestling, let's rewind back. Like, how'd you actually break in? Did you break in with WCW and in the power plant? Yeah, so I, I was... Um, I worked out at Main Event, which Sting and Lex Luger own that gym, and all the wrestlers like Buff, Bagwell, Steiner Brothers, a lot of the power plant guys that were currently in, enrolled in the power plant, DDP, pretty much every, just about every WCW wrestler wrestle, or uh, worked out at this gym. And I was 18 years old working out at this gym, and, uh, you know, they always kept telling me I should try out at the power plant, and then... Diamond Dallas Page was my biggest, biggest uh, supporter to get me into the power plant. So I went and did a tryout, and there were 20 people in my tryout, and then I was the only one that made it through. They had me kicking my arms and legs back and forth, saying, I, saying I'm a dying cockroach. Sarge over the power plant. He was no joke. He was doing thousands of squats a day, push-ups, sprints, freestyle wrestling, they're just trying to break you. They wanted to see how bad you wanted it. So that's how I got into the power plant. And then, then Paul Orndorff, rest, you know, God rest his soul, I took over the power plant and uh, took a liking to me. And uh, I was on TV nine months later with Johnny the Bull. Oh, yeah. I think my first pass on TV was against Chuck Palumbo, and he was just learning how to do a super kick, and he, he knocked me out for a couple seconds. It was the end of the match anyways, the finish. He covered me, but I was I was not silly. We joke about that to this day. We just talked to him the other day. With Paul Ondorf recently passing, and you said he kind of took a liking to you, what was your relationship like, if, if any, you know, over the years with Paul? I haven't spoken to him since, you know, I left WCW, but when I was at WCW, we, we, uh, we were, you know, we weren't like super close, but he was, you know, I respected him and I, I watched a lot of his tapes and I tried to do certain things or wrestle, you know, kind of, you know, similar to him. Uh, Cause he, you know, he was a, a strong dude. And he was jacked, and in my prime, I was, I was pretty jacked. I mean, I'm still decent size, but I was, I was in much better shape in my twenties, as as most people are. <laughs> yeah, you were jacked. I mean, you you were huge at that point. With 
you know, you said Paul and Sarge, they try to break you. Is that one of those things where they almost don't want you to make it through? And, and if you do, then, okay, this guy's meant to be in the business? Yeah, they want to see, you know, at the time in WCW, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, Joe the Assassin was running the power plant. He had Sarge running all the classes, but they were charging $250 a pop cash. So they wanted, you know, as many try. they held as many tryouts as they could and invited as many people as they could. And then they were, they were pocketing the money and they wanted to, you know, they, they wanted to make you, they were trying to make you quit. So then, you know, rarely more than one person made it through a tryout. Like you see all these NXT tryouts and nobody went, nobody went through what we went through the power plant in terms of, because we, we, we had to do those tryouts almost at one point, almost weekly, it seemed like just because they had TV crews coming in to record our tryouts. And so we were constantly doing it. I mean, it got easier, obviously, the more we did it, but, uh, yeah, so it was it was kind of like a scam at first, and then you know if, if whoever made it through, then they would give them a shot. You know, even if you got a shot, it doesn't make mean that you're going to make it. Uh, so you know, luckily I wanted it bad enough, and I was athletic and strong enough. But I just had to learn the industry. I mean, I grew up on wrestling, watching wrestling, but you know, I was very green, very green. You were always a wrestling fan? Yeah, as a, as a kid. Grew up on the, you know, WWF cartoons. My favorite wrestler was Ultimate Warrior. He did the press slam, which is why I always did the press slam. Try to press everyone I could, including Rikishi. Actually, I pressed Big Show at a live, like a house show one time, but he was ass heavy. I couldn't get his, I couldn't get his ass up all the way. So, <laughs> he, you know, it, we, we joked about it. I mean, yeah, it was nice that he allowed me to do that just to see if I could do it. But he was, he was tough to get up. He was just, you know, he's over 500 pounds and seven feet tall. Oof. Yes, that's uh, got to be uh, a little bit of strain on the on the back there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why my back is. I get I get epidural shots in my lower back every six months. I don't feel anything. But I'd rather do that than take pain pills. Right. Pain pills are silent killer. I mess with those. With WCW, like as you're kind of slowly going along, like you said, obviously you go through the power plant, one of the very few guys that kind of makes it through. Then after that, is it like kind of smooth sailing with the training, or are they still tough as nails on you? Oh, there was still, it was constantly testing you. And like, for example, like they would bring me up to Saturday night and they would tell you that, you know, you're going to wrestle as a heel and you'd walk out to the ring when the booking agents would come by and flip a tie or something, make some gesture to the ref. And then the ref would tell me that now I'm being a baby face. So when you go out to the, to the match, you think that, you know, yeah, the mindset is being a heel, but they want to see if you can adapt and switch your thinking and wrestle, you know, you know, like kind of like improv change your whole way of thinking and then you know there was a lot of things there were all eyes are always on you they were always constantly watching you but when i when i got up to tv after i was full time on tv i didn't have to go back to the power plant unless i wanted to just to get some practice in or something so once you made it to tv it, it was a little easier but then you, then you had to learn the politics of wrestling which is a whole another ball ball game with that, I know that they obviously train you all the physical stuff. Do they get you ready for like the mental and 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 like you know, hey, you know, you're gonna deal with politics. Hey, you're gonna have to deal with this. Do they ever get you ready for that side of the business? No, nah, you just learn that on the fly. Like you know, when you're first generation, you don't know about all that stuff. These second and third generation guys, they grow up in it, which is you know, they they know how to to navigate the politics. The politics side of it is. If you're not good on the politics side, you're not going to last long. I mean, yeah, it's a whole other like uh, like thing that you have to 
to have to uh, perfect. So I think I, you know, WCW was a lot. It was more fun, like as far as backstage with the guys than WWE. But I, I, I had a lot of success at WWE, and I, I really liked uh, everyone that was up there. Once we made the transition into the locker room, you know, WCW came over to WWE. You know, we were on their turf, so there was kind of. There was a little bit of bad blood there, but for the most part, everyone was professional. When you start to kind of make it up the ranks in, in WCW, obviously, I know you wrestled uh, Chuck and like Elix Skipper and a bunch of the other guys. When do they start saying, like, hey, we want to maybe put you with Vito? Is that just kind of towards the end of 99, they're going to create the Mama Lukes and put you with Big Vito? Yeah, so when Vince Russo came in, that was that was their his, his idea and and big veto because they're you know they were buddies so uh originally they were looking at johnny attitude uh but he had a similar character but i was you know i guess they liked me because i was younger and i could take all the bumps because you always want to like when you're an older wrestler you always want someone to take all the bumps for you so they wanted a younger younger guy and i you know i, I basically learned on a fly like a lot of guys they they learn like on the underground scene on the indie scene and they work their way up to tv it was the opposite for me i was on tv pretty much nine months into training so i was learning everything politics included on the fly yeah, so you and Big Vito have like a, a big debut, Starcade 99, to get the win over Disco and Lash LaRue. But eventually, not that far down the road, basically uh, mid-January of 2000, you guys win the tag titles from Crowbar and David Flair. What was that like? Because, I mean, that's pretty quick to go from, hey, we're going to debut you know, late 99, and all, all of a sudden, beginning of 2000, you're ready a tag champ. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. I mean, it was, it was a nice, it was a fun ride. I, I didn't expect it to happen so quick, but uh, we were getting over. The fans liked us, or they hated us. Either way, if you're, if you're liked or hate, hated, that's good. So, you know, and, and I think me and Vito worked well together. He was good on the mic. I was still learning why he talked most of the time. But, uh, yeah, I mean it was it was a, a fun ride, you know. I think we won the the belt, the straps twice, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Which I still have one of them here with me. Oh uh, wow, you have it! Nice. I have a uh, also won the hardcore belt, Terry Funk, and I won the hardcore belt again in WWE twice. You know, when the falls count anywhere. Yep. Yep. Those are, I like that. That was a great, great, uh, great gimmick. Falls count anywhere. They should bring that back. They kind of do with that twenty four seven title. I, I guess they kind of do, but it's oh, kind okay. of a, kind of a jokey thing. But I guess it's kind of in the same vein. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I like. Yeah, I guess it is. I, I haven't watched wrestling. Is I'll tune in every once in a while, like if. You know, my buddy Ray is wrestling or something, but for the most part, it's it's just not the same like it was when, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, because we, we got away with more. It was just, it was, right now it's just really PG. So I, I think it's, it's not, it's not as entertaining. Plus everyone's trying to be a UFC fighter. So like, I, I miss the days of, the characters, like the, you know, the Undertaker, obviously, but he's retired. The Ultimate Warriors, the Macho Man. Macho Man was one of my favorites. The characters, the bigger-than-life characters, it, it, it just seems like we don't have that anymore. Yeah, definitely not. It's weird. It's almost like, I don't know if they do it on purpose or they can't find the right guys, but those guys, Warrior, Taker, Savage, definitely special and we haven't seen guys like that in a long time yeah hawk and animal they're another one mm-hmm. yeah I, I i grew up on that's what i grew up on those type of characters and rick flair 
and uh, and that's what I if, if if they had characters like that, I would probably tune in. But you know, like I said, I like watching Ray every once in a while because Dominic, his son, I, I remember his son was a little kid. Now he's now he's uh, on TV, so I like seeing him. Um, that's that's really it. I'm a big sports fan, basketball, football, baseball. Uh, I was hoping that Atlanta Hawks made it to the finals to play Phoenix because I live in Phoenix and I'm from Atlanta. That would have been a dream come true. It almost happened, but I don't know if you follow basketball or not. Yeah, the Bucks, man. I and it's funny. I was looking. Hardly any teams ever that were down 0-2 in the finals won. And of course, they're down 0-2. I'm thinking the Suns are definitely going to win. Chris Paul's definitely going to get his title. And no, they end up blowing it. And the Bucks end up winning. I was very surprised uh, by that. Four in a row. Yeah, I, uh, I I know the feeling. I'm a I'm a any I'm an Atlanta fan. We we blow leads. Atlanta Braves last. <laughs> yep. For three games one on the Dodgers we could have went to the World Series blew that uh, Georgia Bulldogs versus Alabama in the national championship up I think it was like 26 to three blew that Falcons versus the Patriots 28 three and a half blew that so, yeah I know it's, it's a frustrating feeling but you just you always say next year. Yeah, we'll see. Oh, man, it was uh, crazy. Uh, very, very rare to go down 0-2 and win it all, but the Bucks did it. But um, with you, I just want to go back to Big Vito for a second. What did you think about the pairing with him? Did you guys have good chemistry? What did you think about working with Big Vito? I loved working with Big Vito. I did, you know, like I said, I was green. I didn't know what I was doing. And, I, you know, I came up with my character, Johnny the Bull, because, A, I'm a Taurus, my birth sign. B, I like mafia movies. Um, so I got the hat from Rocky One where he walked out with, you know, he had the leather hat tilted and bounced bounce the ball. Yep. Oh, and then I like, you know, you know, Sammy the Bull Gravano as a, you know, a mafia hitman. So I just took that name and made it Johnny the Bull, threw the leather hat on and threw some pants on, some slacks, and that's how I came up with Johnny the Bull. And then, of course, I had the De Niro face. So they always wanted me to, to make that De Niro face, Robert De Niro. I, could, I, I had that down. So they, you know, even up when I made it to WWE, Vince McMahon wanted to see that face all the time. With that, that, yeah, that, look, with that, Oh, very cool. I actually just talked to Vito a few nights ago. He seems like he's doing pretty good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, we, we stay in touch every every probably couple weeks, call or text. But, v, yeah, Vito, Vito was, uh, you know, he's very knowledgeable in the ring with psychology on why to do this, why to do that. He's patient. So yeah, he was a, he was a good mentor to work with. And did he inspire kind of that look at all? Because you know, trying to be like that pure Italian with your look. I mean, too, like I know that cool Rocky vibe going. But was he kind of saying you should go this way, or was like the maybe Russo or somebody that, saying like inspiring the look more? Or no, that character was on me, and that's why they put me with with. Vito and, and the Mama Luke's, and then, of course, later the FBI. That character was, I, I came up with that. And I dressed myself, all the, all the different, you know, styles of clothes that I would wear. I, I mean, I, that was, that was all me. When they're doing, like, this, this gimmick, and they give you the name, the Mama Luke's, what is your thought? Did you like that name, or not like that name, or just, you didn't even think about it? No, I liked it because it, it was, you know, it it was easy for people to call us Mama Luke's, and you know, it's a character thing. So, you know, we get pissed off when we call they call us the Mama Luke's. Um, you know, as a character, we get pissed off. Um, you know, it, it 
I didn't care. They were putting me on TV. You know, they, they could have put a dress on me at that point. Probably not. They did that to Vito. <laughs> hmm. But, uh, I mean, I didn't care. They they were putting me. I was getting pushed. I was making money, uh, winning titles, winning matches. You know, I, I you know, it was that was a different world for me. So, I mean, I, I didn't care if they, you know, called me a mama loop. Didn't matter to me. It's funny because Big Vito didn't like uh, didn't like that name too much. Yeah, I mean he's you know he's old school like that, but I got it. I mean I, it was it, it was made, meant to be a joke at first, and then we got over. A lot of times that happens. A lot of times that happens. People just like he got the dress when he was in WWE. They put the dress on him. They wanted to see how he would react, and he 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 got it over. So, you know, it's it's a matter of, you know, it's all about the pivot. You got to be able to pivot and adapt. So I I didn't mind it. You know, there, we we thought of other names like Bad Fellas. That was another one. I like that one. But my favorite was the FBI. But I guess they didn't want to use it because it was used in ECW or. Well, at, at that I mean, point, couldn't, couldn't use it at that time. But when we went over to WWE, yep, you know, yep. owned ECW, so then we could use it at that point. Gotcha. With you guys kind of moving along, you know, eventually they break up the Mamluks. I know you mentioned the Terry Funk thing, and you guys end up fighting for the Hardcore Championship after you both kind of won it. What do you think? Did you think it was almost like too soon that they were trying to break up the Mamluks? Yeah, I, I thought it was too soon. You know, it was Eric Bischoff came back, and it wasn't his idea. So, you know how that goes. Yep. Already on TV, so they wanted to push the hardcore title on me. Which I, again, I was green at that, too. Um, but I I enjoyed it. I, I, like, I like doing the hardcore stuff. But, you know... That when I when I was wrestling Terry Funk for the title, they you know Terry asked me if I there's something I could do off the top rope to the floor. And me being 20 years old, I thought I was indestructible. And I, he asked me, and I was like, well, what can I do? You know what I mean? Like that's my mindset. I can do anything. At that point, I I could I thought I could do anything. So when I um, when I hit the ropes and jumped up to the top rope. And came down with a leg drop. I I should have I should have peed before I went out. I had a full bladder. And think about it. So when I landed, if I would have used my legs to kind of break the fall a little bit, I probably would have been fine. But I just came straight down on my ass, and I, I pissed myself live on television. But I had slacks on, so you couldn't tell. <laughs> um, and then I was telling Terry Funk, "Hey Terry, I'm hurt." And uh, he rolled back in the ring, and we cut out the last two minutes. I could barely stand. I thought I broke my back. I didn't know that I tore my bladder. And then, uh, and then I hit him in the head with a chair. DDT'd him on the chair, and then they carried me out in a stretcher. And then I woke up in the emergency room, and all the guys were there: Goldberg, Kevin Nash, every everybody was there. Woke up and had a catheter in me. It didn't require oh. surgery. Great. I was I was back in the ring two months later. And then I broke my ankle wrestling uh, uh, Alan Funk, Kiwi. Uh, so I had a bad streak of injury prone. You know, two months later, I got hurt again. So it was a setback. But then I came back and we started. I think they put us back together with the uh, with uh, Vito, if I remember correctly. And then WWE bought WCW when we had that last show in Panama City Beach, and then Shane McMahon showed up. Was that a shock to you, or did you see that one coming? Well, there was. We thought at first, like there was another company that was in the mix that was going to buy it mm -hmm. from. from uh, but when we lost the TV deal, 
then the the value of the company drops significantly. And uh, that's when WWE saw an opportunity and they jumped in on it. But I mean, it, it was it, the WWE thing was out of nowhere. And the reason why WCW went under because well, one of the reasons is they had everyone under contract and they would just sit at home for for a year sometimes or more, and they would even have their wives on contract. They would have people on contract that had nothing to do with wrestling. They were just burning money. So, and then they had certain guys that they were paying, you know, millions, and they were barely even using them. Like, it was just bad money management. With that last Nitro, obviously, Lance Storm and Mike Austin versus the Mama Lukes is the match, but when the backstage atmosphere is going on. Like is Shane McMahon and like Bruce Pritchard running things backstage or what, what's going on backstage? No, it's still, it's still the usual people running backstage. It's just Shane was, you know, back there watching, observing from, from what I remember. I mean, it was, it was the usual Johnny Ace was running it. John Laurinaitis was running it at that point. Uh, I mean, it, he, he was just kind of on the outskirts, outside looking in, just watching and observing. Watching, you know, talent, see who liked, who, who he liked, who he didn't like. Shane, Shane and I became good friends um, when I went to WWE. Every time he was at the show, I would win. When he wasn't there, I would lose. So he yeah, always that's weird. Yeah. yeah, well, there's politics. There's, there was certain people at the booking committee that, didn't like me and I didn't like them. Uh, but when Shane McMahon was there, he trumped all of them, you know, because he's Shane McMahon. So that's why, you know, when they, they put us together as the FBI, we were getting pushed big time. Wrestling Brock, Undertaker, Kurt Angle, all the top guys, everybody. Uh, and then when Shane left, they broke us up. When you first initially, like after WWE gets bought, obviously, and they bring into to WWE, like what's like the process there? They say, hey, like Johnny Ace calls you in, like, hey, we're gonna send you to Heartland, or you you know you're going down to HWA. Like, how does that work? Uh, so they they called me up, interviewed me, uh, Jim Ross. I met with Jim Ross at Phipps, no at uh at a Ritz Carlton in Atlanta. And he interviewed me about bringing me up to, to WWE. Uh, and he said that I would have to go learn WWE style at HWA, uh, wrestling, you know, Heartland Wrestling Association. So, I mean, they basically had to break my lease and drop everything and move to Cincinnati, Ohio and, uh, wrestle up there with Les Thatcher, and then we got over to Louisville and worked, you know, the Cena's and the Batista's and the Orton's and the Lesnar's. We'd go over there and work with them. Conway, I believe, was there, Rob Conway. Uh, so that was fun. You know, we went back and forth, had, had our little TV shows up there. And then before I know it, I was back on TV wrestling as Johnny Stamboli, and then they put me together with the FBI with Chuck and Nunzio. And that was because uh, uh, Polly dangerously wanted uh, to, to reform the FBI and make, it a w, make a WWE version. And Chuck was, was Italian, so Nunzio was there. So I, I think it worked out well. I, I think that I think the FBI could have been really big that I think they dropped the ball with that big time. Oh yeah. I'm just curious that with HWA, did you think that was a step back? Cause you kind of, you know, you've done all that already. You did all the training uh, and, and all that stuff. Sure. Already. But you had to play the game. You have mm. to, you know, they to see how you react. If you bitch about it, you're, you're out. So you just play the game. You know, one time they, you know, they would, they would screw, they would mess with me and, and send me to to it's, it's political, but they sent me and Chuck back to to uh, 
when they sent us to Louisville this time for two weeks, we were on the road, and they're like, you guys go to get to Louisville on Tuesday. And uh, I was like, well, I didn't pack enough for two weeks. And they're like, well, you're just going to have to go buy some more clothes and rent a car. I was like, all right. So we got up there. I didn't complain. I was the first in the ring, and I was the last to leave every day. And they were like, we don't know why you're here. And I'm like, I know why. It's it's politics. What it really comes down to is, is the reason why they broke us up, because uh, a couple guys in the booking committee that uh, I'm not going to name their name, but uh, we just didn't get along. And, you know, in WWE, it's, it's not like the NFL where you have, you know, over 30 teams where you can jump around to. It's WWE at that time. It was WWE or go overseas and wrestle. Right. Or or do the indie scene, which you know, indie. Sometimes I wish I learned the 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 right way. You know, started out in the indie scene and then worked my way up. But I don't know if I if I ever would have. If I I just I put myself in the right positions to you know, to be seen. Cause I knew I was going to be seen if I went to the power plant. I knew that I was going to be seen if, if Paul Orndorff was there and, you know, I played the game. So I, I just never complained. If they had me do something, I knew there's, they're messing with me. I, I never complained about it. When you are Johnny Stamboli and they're putting you on, is that like they, they're going to give you the name. They're going to give you the gimmick. Like, or at this point, are you, like the wrestlers? Are you still given some input? I. They came up to me. Stephanie and Shane came up to me and said, "I need an Italian last name." So, I called up one of my best friends, Corey Stamboli, and uh, I said, "Corey, is it okay if I use your last name?" And he was like, absolutely. So that's how I came up with Johnny Stamboli. And then Corey, Corey's family is, is is mafia, like legit mafia from New York. And his father was in prison. You know, he's a lifer. He's in prison for 30 years. And he was watching wrestling on TV. And he called up Corey. His name's Carmine or Carmen. He's like, Carmen, who who is this Johnny Stamboli using our name on TV? And he's like, Dad, that's my that's one of my best friends. Uh, so then, you know, he approved it, and I continued to use the name. Were you nervous at first? Like, uh oh, uh, <laughs> he doesn't like the name. Uh, Corey, Corey was, he's my best friend still to this day. So um, he they, he he loved it because it made his name famous. And of course, Taz called me Stromboli, which is a stuffed pasta on live television all the time. So, didn't bother me. With the FBI, what is kind of like in in WWE when you put Chuck and Nunja put you guys together? Do they give you any plans of like, oh, we're going to push you to the moon, or we have big plans for you, or nothing? Well, no, we could tell. When you're getting pushed, you don't, you know, you could, you got everyone coming up to you, kissing your ass, wanting to be, wanting, presenting ideas to you. Like, I had all kinds of wrestlers, different wrestlers coming up to us, you know, hey, what what do you think if we did this or that? You know, they're kind, when you're getting pushed, you know, it's kind of, you know, you feel the energy of it. It's hard to describe. Um, And then, you know, it, it just, Polly loved the gimmick. I loved it. We all loved the gimmick, so we were, we were passionate about it. And uh, and uh, they just started booking us with all the top guys, and we were getting we just kept getting over and over and over. So, I mean, it, that was that was a fun ride. Was Heyman? He was the head booker at that point. I believe so. Yeah, he had he had some creative control for sure. Especially with our our gimmick, and then of course we had Shane McMahon and our, you know, backing it up. So that's why every time he was on the road with us, we would get pushed to the moon. And then when he wasn't, we'd be 
on Sunday night or, or whatever it was. And then, and then Shane, Shane McMahon left and went to work at some company in China, I believe. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. You guys had a nice little, uh, handicap match against the undertaker on SmackDown. I mean, uh, think things were definitely going, fun. going well. Yeah, that was fun. We also did a run out on him and, uh, in a, a pay-per-view, I forget which pay-per-view it was, but we were in New York doing some promo stuff, and last second they they had the idea of us running out and jumping Undertaker, and I believe that was when he was working with Nathan Jones. So last minute they, they got a limo for us, and we hopped in the car from Bo- or New York and drove to Boston. We're getting ready in the in the limo, you know, drinking, whatever. By the time we got to the arena, we're, you know, we're a buzz. And then Undertaker was at the go, posi- go position or gorilla position. And we ran up to him and we're like, what do you want to do? And he was like, the, he just quarterbacked the whole thing. And then we went out and did it. And it was awesome. And then that's pretty much how the, the story, the gimmick or the storyline started with FBI versus Undertaker. I feel like, like that's a great spot to be in. You know what I mean? He like the, the legend, the conscience, the great WWE, and then like like you said, I guess politics kind of rears its head, and you guys are in a good spot, and all of a sudden somebody doesn't like you, and you're out of that great spot. Right. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. One wrong person in the right ear, whispering in the right ear. It just spreads. That's why I'm not there. Any sort of relationship with Vince at all? So, you know, if someone said something, you know, I was I was young. Someone said something to me, I slapped the shit out of them. I don't care. So, right. But I knew how to work it too. Like I, I wasn't, I didn't try to act like uh, hard in the ring, and you know, you know, I was. Everyone liked me by everybody liked me backstage. Everybody, and I liked everybody else. But it was, it, it wasn't the wrestlers backstage. It was even the Undertaker. I, I had, he was, he's one of my favorite people. He was just a wealth of knowledge, and he he cared. And when you wrestled Undertaker, you didn't have to talk about anything. He called everything in the ring. He goes, just, I would always ask him, Taker, what do you want to do? He goes, just listen to me. I'm like, all right. So we get out there, and it's the easiest match because you don't have to remember anything. You get, I mean, the finish, obviously, but everything else, he's, he's quarterbacking it. Did follow his lead. Exactly. It's like. You know, it's a, it's a physical dance. You have someone leading the, the dance, and you just go with the motion. So did you have any sort of relationship with Vince at all? Yeah, it, it was more more with Shane. Vince McMahon was, you know, obviously the the end, you know, he, the decision maker at the end. Um, but I never really got too close with Vince. I mean, we, we he... He was always nice to me and, and, and professional, um, but I never like I was closer to Shane and Stephanie than uh, than Vince. So when you get released, is that like a Johnny Ace thing? Does he say, "Hey, you know, we're going to release you"? Like, how does that come about? Yeah, I kind of had the feeling because they broke us up, and then they weren't using us much, and then I was. At, I was at dinner and I got a call, 203 area code, Stanford, Connecticut. So I answered and it was Johnny A's. He's like, Johnny, I got good news and I got bad news. That's how he talks. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, what's the good news? He goes, I got you booked in Japan. I said, well, I already got my, I, I kind of had a feeling that what you're about to tell me next. So I already got myself booked in Japan. He goes, well, we're going to have to let you go. We don't have anything for you right now. We don't have anything for you. I was like, all right. And uh, that was that. And then I went to Japan, 
and we we formed the uh, Voodoo Murderers with Taru. And then I needed a partner, so I brought over Chuck. So it was me and Chuck Palumbo and the Voodoo Murderers, right? And we wrestled Becky Fatu, which is was Umunga or Umunga. We wrestled uh, Kaya or Kaya Mossman. Uh, I mean, we. Muda, I was a fake Muda. The first one I went over there, they made me the fake Muda. I had to dress up and, you know, head to toe in, in, in special outfits that they made me, which are badass. I love those. But then I had to learn how to do the mist. And me and Muda had a double spot where we missed each other in the face. So that was fun. That was a, that was a, that was a fun, fun time wrestling as a fake Muda in Japan. Such a cool look, too. <laughs> Yeah, and then they took the mask off, and then they, you know, brought the Johnny Stamboli character back, and that's when they made us voodoo murderers. Love the mood of mood of you too, because obviously, you know, easily one of the biggest stars ever, not only in Japan but in wrestling. So I just thought that was really cool, like quite a good, you know, opening to the scene over there for you. Yeah, because they thought I had the same build as Muda. And what, how, it, how it really happened was my buddy, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, he was over there wrestling the fake Muda, and he tore both of his knees out, so he couldn't do it anymore. So they, they put the, the gimmick on me, and then they, we wrestled up to a pay-per-view and, uh, at the Yayogi Arena, and it, and it, was, uh, it was me versus Muda. I think our match was like, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Yeah, Muda was fun to work with because he's so over. I had to wrestle Aki Bono, too, who was a seven-time Grandmaster Sumo champion, and he was really green. I remember it was him, it was Muda and, and Aki Bono versus me and Chuck. And uh, Aki Bono was standing in the middle of the ring, and I walked up to him. And I'm poking him in the chest, and I'm, I say, when the time is right, and this is probably 20,000 fans, you know, I said, when the time is right, I want you to give me your sumo thrust. You know, where the sumos, they thrust both of their hands into you, push you yep. back. Yep. So he goes, well, well when's the time right? When, when will the time be right? And I said, you'll know, because I slapped him in the face <laughs> really hard. And uh, he gave me his sumo thrust, and Normally, you take a bump and you roll out of the ring, you know. I legit went flying through the ropes. I had no choice. My feet were off the ground and went flying through the ropes, and I landed in the second row. And the fan, Japanese fans are like, oh. And they say, you know what I mean? Like, they, yep. they don't really clap. Stand yep. up. Oh. So then I, um, you know, went back into character, started throwing stuff, kicking stuff, acting like a heel. Akibono was still standing in the ring. So I rolled back in, walked right up to him. I said, do it again. I slapped him, and he, he did it again. So that, that's some of the improv stuff that we would do. But he was so green, he gave me a standing suplex and put all his weight on me. He, he, was, he, was, he was bigger than Big Show then. So that knocked the wind out of me. Yeah, he was a big boy, to say the least. Akibono, a monster. Obviously, sumo champ. Like you said seven-time sumo champion. Pretty good though for you, though. I mean, mixing up with him, who was a huge star in Japan. Muda, huge star in Japan. I mean, you had a great run in all Japan. Yeah, I did. It was it was fun. And then um, you know, we did the thing in Italy with Rikishi and his family, and uh, that was fun. Got to go travel all over Italy. FBI in Italy was super over. Like you can't get. I don't think you can get any more. You know, we were we were basically Hawk Hogan in Italy. They had us driving out. We they had us wrestling on live television over in Italy, in in, in gladiator arenas overlooking in Sicily, overlooking the Mediterranean. They had a, they had a ring set up in the old gladiator arena. And they had us drive out in a Lamborghini with the Italian flag. I mean, at that point, it, it, we could have walked out and, you know, 
shit in the ring. <laughs> yeah. We still over. I mean, it wouldn't have mattered. That's how much the fan. And I, they're they're making a documentary on us right now. Oh yeah, really? From so in Italy, yeah. They they still you know, wrestling is they 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 love us over there. They want us to come over and probably film some stuff for a documentary. Wow, very cool. They still love their FBI over there in Italy. Yeah, they do. Also, you uh, mentioned Mexico before, CMLL. You were a, a part of them for sure. You and, and your buddy Mark Jindrak and, and Palumbo, right? I mean, wasn't he over there as well? Yeah, so we went over to Mexico, and I needed, you know, me and Chuck went over there as the FBI, uh, at CMLL, and then Chuck got the opportunity to go back to WWE, so I needed a partner. That's when I called Jendrak, and I said, hey, you want to come down and try out for the CMLO? And he did, and we, we needed an Italian last name for him, so that's how they came up with Marco Corleone. And then they wanted us to move there and stay there, and he was willing to do that. I wasn't willing to do that. So basically, I left, and he had a nice run over there for like nine years. He was the first ever heavyweight champion for CMLO, American heavyweight champion. Yeah, yep. He Huge star over, over there. there. If I stayed with him, it probably probably would have been mutual, but I didn't want to live in Mexico City. Oh. It's crazy I how big that. of a star he became in Mexico. I don't know, right, his wife is, is was a, a star down there and everything else. Crazy. Yep, yep. He was super over. He learned he self-taught Spanish to himself. I mean, he... Smart, smart dude. One of my best friends. He got over so big down there. He became like an international superstar. I mean, crazy. And, and all not all thanks to you, but kind of through you. You, you kind of made it happen for him. Yeah, I remind him of that, too. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. have to. It's funny, too, because you wrestled a little bit for Torimon in, in, in Mexico, too, down there. And you see, like... Okada at a young age, uh, Alberto Del Rio at a, at a young age, but younger age. It's funny, like the, the names that go through there, Ultimo Dragon, obviously, when you go back to MLL, Ray Bucanero, Lismark Jr. I mean, a lot of good legendary guys when you look back at, at the run in Mexico. Yeah, no, that was fun. You know, uh, you know, Dos Cardas Jr. was out, was, uh, what was, what was his WWE name? Alberto Del Rio. Uh, I, I don't miss those car class dude junior, but uh, yeah, it, I mean, it was, those guys were, were fun to work with. We worked with them a lot. La Parca, uh, I mean, and then, you know, when I went over to AAA, you know, Conan was over there. Conan brought me into AAA. But AAA, they, they, they treated the Americans bad. So they, they, I was basically sleeping on Jindrak's couch, and uh, they had me on the cover of their magazine. They were pushing me, but they wouldn't get me, like, uh, they wouldn't help me get my uh, papers there. So, basically, I was an illegal immigrant in Mexico City, which is a felony. It's a felony in Mexico. Here, you just get slapped on the wrist. There, it's a felony. Wow. So, you know, that, you know, that in conjunction with you know, they wanted to book me in Tijuana on Christmas Day. I was like, nah, I, I just no-showed it and uh, wrote a big um, article on how AAA treats the Americans and they treat the Mexican wrestlers even worse. And, it's and you know, a, a lot of the Mexican wrestlers, the luchadors were emailing me or calling me and they were thanking me for saying it because I said I basically said everything that they wanted to say and it spread like on the dirt sheets it spread all the right I mean the office everyone in AAA so I burned a bridge there but I don't care because because uh the guy that was running AAA was a piece of shit so Conan Conan was is my boy I you know I have nothing but respect for Conan but it, he had nothing to do with it gotcha 
and then you kind of come back to the stage, create that red rum character or that relic character, right? Where, where did that come from? Well, so I was a big fan of Muda, right? So uh, I was like, how could we recreate Muda? And I had, you know, I practiced it. So I was like, how can we recreate Muda uh, and bring it over here to the state? So my uh, buddy, Andre at AFX Studios, who does a lot of the special effects for, you know. Andre Fritas? Huh? Andre yeah. Fritas? Yeah. yeah. He did, um, was it Walking Dead or what did he do? Yeah, he did Walking Dead. Yep. I mean, he's done a lot, a lot of stuff. A lot of, made, makes a lot of the belts. He did Mortis's mask. He did, uh, Glacier's mask. So I went in there, I went to see him and he took a molding in my face and I gave him a picture of Darth Maul, Spawn, and Jeepers Creepers. And I said, make me a mask. And that's what he came up with, Relic. And then I, I wanted gladiator trunks and, and, uh, so then I went to WWE with Relic trying to change my character, change my look. And they, they loved it so much. They put me on a, a week long tryout on house shows. And, um, the, the guy that was, that I had heat with. And the booking committee, or the booking agents, you know, I told you about that earlier. He was the booking agent for those house shows. So I went out there, I did the relic gimmick, and I was wrestling uh, Val Venus. And we had amazing matches, standing ovation. Fans loved it. But then on TV, they're going to put me on TV on Monday on Raw as the relic. And... uh the the booking agent that I had heat with told Stephanie that I didn't know the character. I'm still learning the character. So he buried me and then they didn't put me on TV. And that's when I was like, all right. So then I went to TNA, but then TNA, it wasn't their character. They didn't come up with it. So they didn't care about it. So they, you know, we had that match with Abyss and Raven where I landed on the thumbtacks. And after that, they just put me in, silly matches and it just it didn't make sense they were just they didn't care about the character so instead of having them abuse my character that i created uh, i uh you know i, I quit I, I i left road dog came up with the name relic road dog's cool he came up with the name relic that was his idea but i, I mean i had the character i just needed i couldn't i wanted to originally use red rum but 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 they wanted to come up with their own name. So I guess it's trademarked or whatever. I'm sure. Right. So when you said in, I think it was 2014, 2015, you wrestled hurricane. That was your last match. You put it together in Arizona. Why was that it for you? Like, well, you, it was just injuries piling up. You're just done with the business or like, what was the thought process? Like, like, Hey, you know, you did this cool gimmick. You created this character. How come you just were like, yeah, I'm done with it. Well, it was just running shows like that. It just took a lot of time, and I, I wanted to, you know, working on the independent scene, I can make more money by doing mortgages. So I always had one foot in mortgages, one foot in wrestling, and and I until I stopped doing one and focused on the other, I was kind of I felt like, you know, spreading myself too thin. So I made the decision to just retire and focus on doing mortgages and now i'm you know I've, it's you know i'm married I have a nice house working on kids so it's you know i'm blessed i'm still alive 20 people out of my wrestling camp are dead or 10 people are dead out of 20 people in my wrestling camp like i just didn't want to be a part of that lifestyle anymore plus the concussions and the injuries and the, all the pain like if i was on top, like, you know, Cena or, you know, making millions and I would deal with the pain, but I wasn't making millions. So I had to make a decision. I didn't want to be, oh, another, I saw the movie, The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke. That scared the shit out of me too. I didn't want to be that guy at 50, still trying to do it alone, depressed. So that, I mean, that, 
that was another deciding factor. As we hit the wind down, we head towards the finish here. Just kind of a generic question, but I'm always curious because I like to you know, maybe go on, and I'm sure the fans do too, you go on YouTube or the network or something. Do you have some favorite matches or something you say, hey, you know, fans should check this out or somebody, if they're unfamiliar with you, they should definitely see this to become more familiar with you as a fan? Like some favorite matches or even favorite opponents? My favorite opponent was, was Undertaker. I had a good match with Ray. Um uh, Rikishi was when I pressed Rikishi on live television. Um, uh, Vince McMahon was standing in the back clapping. Everybody was clapping. That pretty much solidified me as one of the pound for pound strongest wrestlers because no one could pick Rikishi up like that. Yeah, like that. Oh my God, what a, that was crazy. You were able to do that. Yeah, he asked me if I could do it backstage, and I was like, I don't know. Let's try it. So I tried it backstage, and it was fine. He goes, But can you do it on TV? in front of fans i'm like i don't know so then when he goes if i call it be ready so he called it in the ring and it worked out fine there's it's hard to remember there was wrestling one of some of my favorite matches were the house shows that weren't even televised like i got to wrestle sergeant slaughter who was one of my favorites as a kid because i watched the cartoon and uh hagsaw jim duggan in a tag match so that, you know, Sergeant Slaughter put me in a Cobra clutch. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. That is really cool, especially as a fan. Cause you, you know, you, you yeah. love that kind of stuff. Old school. And then watching watching Undertaker's Fog come out, you know, when he, he makes his entrance. Watching the Fog come down and his whole, you know, his, all the theatrics of it. That was That was a dream come true. Do you have any regrets from the wrestling business? Anything that you kind of look back on and, and wish hadn't happened or wish you did something differently? Yeah, but there's there's things that I can't say that happened that kind of added fuel to the fire of the politics that I had no control over that I, that I wish I would have handled differently, but I mean, I don't want to get into detail on it, but you know, it was right around the time Eddie Guerrero died, and then Chris Benoit did what he did. So I, I, I thought it. I mean, I mean, it was a good experience, great opportunity. I was blessed to be a part of it because it made a man out of me. It's probably saved my life, but all good things come to an end. Yeah, definitely. So when you look back at your career, what's like the stamp you think you left behind or what's what's your legacy? Like when people think of Johnny Stamboli or Johnny the Bull or the Mama Lukes, what do they think of even Relic? I mean, what do they think of, of your career? To be honest, it's probably something that I hope it wouldn't be, but I think most people are going to remember me busting my bladder off the top row. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean... Everyone thought I was crazy, and I was crazy at that time. Um, I don't know. I, th- I thought I had a good run in WWE. I thought it could have been way better, you know, politics aside. I thought they could have pushed us to the moon. Um, but it's kind of like it never really – it never really – it was kind of like we were upper mid-card but never really made it to that main event. And that, that's probably one of the things I regret. As far as you and, and everything you got going on, plugs-wise, do you have social media and stuff you'd like to, you know, you get the fans out there and pay attention to? Or do you do social media at all? Uh, yeah, I have a, a Twitter account at Johnny Stamboli. Um, it's been suspended probably five times. The original one I lost all my followers on because I – you know, they're, they're, I don't know why they suspend certain things when you say certain things, but whatever they, I've been suspended. So, but the new the new Twitter account is, um, it's at Johnny Stamboli, but it's spelled J O N N Y S T A M B O L I. 
not with a Y or not with an H and Johnny. So J O N N Y. So that's that's if they want to follow me there and communicate with me there, that would be the best. Because my Facebook, I mean, they can find me on Facebook, but I don't always I don't always answer that, and I don't I'm not on it as much anymore. And then Instagram is Instagram it's J Hugs Eleven, so J H U G G S and the number eleven. Okay, got it. All right, awesome stuff, Johnny. Thank you uh, so much for all the time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It was good talking to you. Yeah, um, great to uh, catch up and go down memory lane. I used to love WCW. It was a WCW guy, so suck to see them go. And, and a lot of like the young talent like you and Jindrak and O'Hare and Sanders, it's kind of sucks seeing that they would have got a you know nice, decent push in WCW, but it sucked to see them go away. Yeah, that's another one, O'Hare. He was a good friend of mine, too. Sad that he, he's passed away. But thank you so much uh, for all the time. Really appreciate that. All right. Thanks for, for your time as well. Have a good day. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother.